much. Go ahead. So last week we began our Real Identity series. I'm really excited about this series. We started off with kind of looking at an overview of the Christian story of the world. We talked about those categories. I don't know if you remember them. Creation, fall, and redemption. As a way of recognizing that God, our creator of the universe... We are human beings who are made in his own image, unique piece of his creation, but we're fallen in sin. However, God met us with grace in the person of Jesus Christ. He extended his grace to us. This is a hot mic, guys, huh? That is kind of, kind of brilliant. Um, he's extended his grace to us in Jesus Christ. And so we have hope in God that he will restore creation through the power of his spirit at work in this world. We have hope that Jesus Christ is at work in our own lives. And so we look forward to that day when he will uh, renew and full of that. Is it this guy? Sweet. Thanks. <laughs> Technology. So uh, if you weren't here last week, I introduced our passage that we're really going to focus on for this series. It's Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 14. And so... We talked about last week, what does it really mean for us to be people who find our identity in Christ? It's a phrase that you'll hear a lot in the church, but I really want to focus these next few weeks on thinking about what it means for us. Who are we truly as people who God has redeemed and who he's using to fulfill his work in the world? And so the verse we read last week was, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. That's verse 3 of Ephesians chapter 1. And so the word blessing, we talked about this, means to speak well of. That's the translation of the original Greek there, to speak well of. So what Paul is saying that is in Christ, God has spoken well of us. Jesus makes us who we really are at the core of our being by his grace. And so who we truly are isn't defined by our background. It's not about who we make ourselves to be by our performance, whether good or bad. It's not about our successes or failures or mistakes. Who we are is who God has made us to be by his grace in Jesus when we trust him in faith. And there's nothing that we lack. We're blessed with every spiritual blessing. And so tonight we're going to talk about the first specific blessing that Paul names in Ephesians chapter 1 that makes us who we are. And I want to let you know up front, this is going to be a little bit of a different message than normal. Um, we're going to get into some pretty deep theology at times, but... I encourage you, stick with me here. I believe that this word that we're going to study tonight from Paul can encourage us in a really special and unique way. And I've really been looking forward to sharing it with you guys. And so before we get into this passage, I want to give you a little bit more context on the book of Ephesians. So Paul is writing this letter. He's in house arrest, actually, when he's writing here. He's in Rome around 60 AD, and he was imprisoned there for refusing to stop preaching the gospel. And so Paul had spent two years in Ephesus himself, planting churches and preaching in that city. And you can read some of the events of that time, actually, in Acts chapter 18 and 19, if you want to see what Paul was up to in Ephesus. But he left Ephesus about three years before writing this letter. And so the city, it was a Roman colony, actually, in what is now Turkey. Maybe that helps you put it on the globe. And Ephesus was the capital city of that region, of the Roman province of Asia. And it was a happening place. Check this out. It's easy to think about these Bible cities as little, like, dusty villages, but Ephesus had 250,000 people living there. It was the economic hub of its region. It was the headquarters 
of worship of the god Artemis or Diana, depending on whether or not you're Greek or Roman, which was the goddess of the hunt and nature and fertility. And so it was a wealthy city, but it was also full of idolatry. It was pluralistic. And so this was a really challenging ministry context, but Paul planted some churches there, and it was a place where the church really grew and the gospel thrived. And so this church was composed of both people of a Jewish background and of a Gentile background. And Paul's letter was really intended to encourage them, but also to provide some doctrinal direction on the nature of the gospel, uh, the good news of what God had done in Jesus and his life, death, and resurrection, and also to discuss the gospel's implications on their life together and their witness. And so we'll be in chapters 1 through 14 for this series, but tonight we're going to focus on chapter 1, verses 4 through 6. And so you can open up your Bible there if you want. I'm also going to put that verse on the screen in just a second. But before I do that, you may have gotten our weekly email. If you didn't, then you had better sign up for it after you eat some tasty breakfast. You may have seen in that email that tonight we're going to talk about a subject that sometimes produces controversy in Christian community. We're going to talk about the role of divine election, God's choosing, and human free will in salvation. And so the reason we're talking about this is because these subjects naturally arise in studying our passage. And brushing past verses 4 through 6 because they bring out differences in opinion would be to ignore biblical truth that God in his wisdom chose to include in scripture. And so we need to understand what this word means for us today. And I'm excited to study it with you all. And so to give you an idea of where we're going, the first part of this message, we're going to dig into the teaching of our passage and then explore a biblical theology, the big picture teaching of scripture on free will and predestination and election, some terms that you may have heard and maybe set off some hot buttons as soon as I say them. Um, and then in the second part, I want to talk about why all this matters, not only for our personal walks of faith, but also for understanding who we are as a people and for our mission in this world. And so I also want to make two things really clear up front. And the first is this. Every sermon I preach, my goal is to share the truth of Scripture and not my own ideas or opinion. Uh, that is always my goal. If this is just me up here sharing something that sounds like a good idea to me or something that I like, then we are all completely out of luck. Um, my aim is to understand God's Word and communicate to you with dependence on God's Spirit in doing so. And so I want you to know right up front, I have no agenda coming into this sermon other than to communicate what God has already communicated. I'm not trying to come up with anything original here. And uh, the moment I start doing that, y'all better peace out. So that's our goal, to understand what God has communicated on this subject. Second thing I want to point out is that the gospel is the foundation on which all of Christian life and faith is built. And the gospel is that sinners are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. The gospel is where we are unified. This is what binds us together, not similarity on any single doctrinal issue. And so there is room for us to have difference in our understanding on the role of divine election and human free will in coming to saving faith. And I have actually heard stories of people breaking fellowship with other believers or looking down on people and their faith as a result of difference in opinion on this issue. And I have to tell you, there is zero place in the gospel for that. There's no place for it. And this might sound kind of harsh, but I would honestly question if someone really got the gospel, if they thought it was appropriate to look down on someone for their position on this issue, or to cut off fellowship for difference in opinion on this, 
I don't know if you can get the gospel and come to the conclusion that that's the right thing to do. And so uh, you can tell I don't really feel passionate about this at all. Um, those two things said, I'm going to read our passage now, and then I'm going to pray that God's spirit would be over us as we study his word, that he would give us humility and patience as we hear the fullness of what he says, that he'll open up our hearts to grasp what this means for our identity and our life together as a people on mission in this world. So let's read this verse. Ephesians 1, chapter, chapter 1, verses 3 through 6. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us to adoption, to, son to sonship through Jesus Christ, in accordance with his pleasure and will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. Let's pray together. Father God, we come before you and we thank you for the gift it is that you have revealed yourself to us in scripture. Father, I pray that you would be present in this place by your spirit, that you would speak to our hearts, that you would open our minds to know more about you. God, you're the God of the universe. We can't completely understand your ways, but we pray that you would speak to us from your truth, that we might know more of you and that we might be equipped to live lives as your people in this world as a result of our study here tonight. Would you open up our minds to see the blessings that we have in Christ and to be able to respond to them in lives of love and service. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. And so we see here, God has blessed believers in Christ with every spiritual blessing. And verses 4 through 6 focus on the first blessing Paul names, which I'm going to refer to from here on, here on out as election. And we'll break this passage down and see what the blessing of election really is. So, please, keep referring to this passage because I want you to see that what I'm preaching on here is coming straight out of Ephesians chapter 1, verses 4 through 6. So Paul says that Christians are a people who are chosen in Christ to be holy and blameless in God's sight. That's the what of election. The what of election. Election is God's reaching out to people of his choosing and drawing them to saving faith in Christ. And so to understand the what of election, we first need to understand the why. This passage says that because of God's love, he chose to bring believers into his family. Not out of obligation, but because it was his will to do so. You can see that right there in the text. It was his will to do so, and it pleased him to do so. That's the why. God chooses people to experience his grace out of his love and his will for them to experience salvation. And for this doctrine to be a big deal for us, for it to click with us, we need to remember Scripture's teaching that before God reached out to us in Christ, we, like all men, were dead in our sins and transgressions. That's Romans 6. That's Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. Before Christ, we weren't just in a spiritually bad place, needing to make some better decisions. We were spiritually dead and powerless to save ourselves. But though we were dead and helpless, it pleased God to show us His glorious grace by choosing us to experience his salvation, he lifted us up out of the grave and he gave us new life in Christ. And this doesn't have anything to do with our worthiness or our deserving. Election is the blessing of God choosing to share himself and his salvation with us out of his love and his desire for us to experience his grace. And so Ephesians 1 verses 4 through 6, it also shows us God's method for election. 
And so let's check that method out. This is the when and the how of election. It says God chose us in Christ before the creation of the world. And the word Paul uses to name this method of choosing is predestination. The Greek word that is translated predestined here means to mark out beforehand. And so what Paul is saying in verse 5 is that followers of Jesus are people who God has chosen to mark out before the creation of the world to receive his grace. And so God determined to adopt people into his family as his children by drawing them to saving faith in Jesus before they were even born. And so I hope that creates some clarity on these terms because you'll hear a lot of people use the terms election and predestination kind of interchangeably, but they're two different things. Election is the what of what God is doing in choosing to draw people to himself giving them saving faith in Christ out of his love for them and out of his desire to bless them with salvation and relationship with him. And predestination is the how. It's how he does it. And so this is a lot to take in. I told you this would be some thick stuff. Uh, in order to process this, we really need to start with a nod to the Christian doctrine, the biblical teaching of sovereignty. And sovereignty is God's right and ability to do as he wishes with his creation. And we have uh, just a little bit of biblical background for believing in God's sovereignty. Please check out these verses. I'm going to put a lot of them up on the screen here over the next few minutes. Check out these verses here on the screen. Sovereignty is a prominent theme throughout Scripture. It's all throughout Scripture. And so what we're talking about is there is no external influence upon God that forces him to act. God exercises his power and control over creation according to his will. And so I want you to read these passages of scripture on the screen as I have them up here. But I don't want you to feel like, oh man, like if I don't get one of these processed, then I'm totally out of luck. I wrote down all these passages and I have a printout for you guys that I'm going to put over on the Welcome Center on your way out. I would love it if you did some independent study on this and uh, come to your conclusion after you hear this message by referring back to these verses. And so God's sovereignty over all things is a major theme in Scripture. And verse 5 in Ephesians 1 that I just had up earlier says that it's according to God's purpose that he works out his will and salvation. This is how God works out his will and election. God sovereignly chooses to draw some people to saving faith in Jesus. And so I understand that this may well be a new or different or maybe even an unsettling idea for you. But you need to know that Ephesians chapter 1, verses 4 through 5, is by no means isolated in teaching this. Check out these passages here. God's election of people to be blessed with saving faith in Christ is expressed in many different places in the New Testament. Here are a few more. And so the truth that God sovereignly works out his will over creation is clear in Ephesians chapter 1. And these verses I just shared show that one way God exercises his sovereignty is by drawing some of the people he has created in his own image to faith in Christ. That though they were dead in sin, they might be given new life and an experience of his grace in Jesus solely because of God's love. And so 
what do I think about this? I'm going to be honest with you. At the deepest level of my understanding, which is absolutely finite, keep in mind, I am convinced that election is a biblical reality. And I want to acknowledge that I know there are some dynamics about election that can be difficult for us to swallow, and we'll get to some of those things. But if you believe Scripture is the true and authoritative Word of God, I am convinced that you need to accept that election is a biblical reality. The content of the Bible is God's Word, and it's God's ideas. Uh, they're not ours. There are some things in Scripture that might be unsettling to us. But if we take Scripture seriously, we can't pick and choose which parts of it we accept. We don't have to understand all of it. We don't have to like all of it. But we do have to accept it. And that can be a hard thing to do sometimes. And so, let's flip the coin. Does the biblical reality of election mean that human free will has no place in people coming to saving faith in Christ? Scripture absolutely leads me to think otherwise, and I think we have good reason for believing so. Check out these passages. And so we see here in these passages, there is ample evidence that the free will of men and women to choose God absolutely matters. The decisions of people to choose to trust Christ play a critical role, a critical role in them coming to saving faith in Jesus. Look at that verse in Revelation chapter 3. When Jesus talked about his invitation for people to trust him in faith, he said, I stand at the door and knock. He didn't say, I kick the door down and pull people out. The free will of men to choose God is a critical part of how people come to saving faith in Jesus. And so I have to tell you, let me share my own opinion. At the deepest level of my own understanding, keep in mind, which is very finite, I am absolutely convinced that people must choose to trust God by faith, by their own free will, in order to be saved. I'm 100% convinced of it. And so it sounds like I'm coughing out, but that's not what's going on, and that's what I want to tell you. The truth is, there is a biblical tension between God's divine election and human free will and people coming to saving faith in Christ. And our goal is not to eliminate that tension, because the truth is in the tension. And so I want to say to you, if you are really fired up about God's sovereignty and choosing to save people who are dead in sin, good, you should be. All of us should be. But if you're also fired up about the importance of men and women to choose to trust Christ with their free will in order to be saved, good, you should be. Both of these realities are biblical, and both of them are incredibly important, and they have to be kept in tension. I want to tell you, I am anything but unique in holding this position. Let me share with you the perspectives of two heroes of our faith on divine election and human free will. The first is a man named John Stott. I love to quote him. He's a man who died in 2011, but he was an Englishman and an Anglican bishop. And he was a man who was once referred to as the Protestant Pope. That's kind of a big deal. Um, John Stott said this, Everybody finds the doctrine of election difficult. Didn't I choose God, somebody asks indignantly, to which we must answer, yes, indeed you did, and freely but only because in eternity God had first chosen you. But somebody else asks, didn't I decide for Christ? 
To which we must also reply, yes, indeed you did, and freely, but only because in eternity God had first decided for you. So John Stott believed that the biblical perspective on salvation had to involve a tension between election and free will. Let's look at someone else you may have heard of. A little guy named C.S. Lewis, uh, one of our favorite people around here at ECC, famous Christian author and philosopher. This is what he said about, uh, sorry, this is what is said about his position of election in a book I checked out about the theology of C.S. Lewis and another author and theologian, Francis Schaeffer. And so this is a little bit of an extended quote, but I think it's worth sharing with you. Lewis thought that the Bible was especially enigmatic on the subject of election and free will. It speaks of separating the sheep and the goats on the basis of their works, with no reference to predestination or even faith. Paul, on the other hand, emphasizes the doctrine of predestination in the role of faith while repudiating any type of works righteousness approach to salvation. Lewis confesses that he does not know how to reconcile these passages, but is certain that the proper understanding of election will not rule out true human agency. Instead of dismissing either side of the evidence, we should hold the two in tension until further enlightenment arrives, which will presumably not be in this life. Lewis believes the mysterious relationship between human agency and divine election. His own experience seems just as mysterious to Lewis. An event leading up to his own conversion is a good example. Lewis was riding a bus and began to sense overtures of God. It was as if he were wearing some type of restrictive garment and God wanted to set him free. He believes he was given what now appears a moment of holy, free choice. I could open the door or keep it shut. I could unbuckle the armor or keep it on. I chose to open, to unbuckle, to loosen the rein. Then Lewis suddenly shifts gears and offers an entirely different perspective. I say I chose, yet it did not really seem possible to do the opposite. You could argue that I was not a free agent, but I am more inclined to think that this came nearer to being perfectly free than any other act I had ever done. Necessity may not be the opposite of freedom, and perhaps a man is most free when instead of producing motives, he could only say, I am what I do. And so that's C.S. Lewis' perspective. And I want to tell you, it's fine to find yourself a little bit more on one side to another on that spectrum. But you have to keep the two in tension. You cannot choose one in favor, in favor of the other if you want to have a biblical perspective. So let me take a deep breath, and maybe you all need to take a deep breath too. And if you're having a hard time wrapping your mind around this, you're in really good company with the rest of the Christian church and the world. Because we're talking about the God of the universe here, and we can understand a lot about God, but we can't entirely wrap our minds around him, and that's okay. Another commentator I read preparing for this said that election involves a paradox that the New Testament does not seek to resolve and one that our finite minds cannot fathom. And so if you think that you completely understand election and free will, you probably don't have a biblical perspective because the realities of God are bigger than we can comprehend. And I want to share with you a little bit of my own personal experience on thinking about this issue. So when I was in college, I was absolutely convinced that free will was the answer. Why would God choose to exclude some people and choose others? 
that was a question that I wondered about. And I also knew some people who were hyper-Calvinists and were like 100% convinced that if you were saved, it was only because like God had chosen you and your free will had nothing to do with it. And these people didn't act like they were elect. They acted like they were elite. And so I was like, I don't entirely understand what you're saying, but I don't like the way that you're acting right now. And so I'm against you. I know that much. And so I was sure that I was on the free will side of the fence. And then a few years after I graduated from college, my wife and I were in a church and our pastor was teaching on this issue. And he really helped me to understand what it means to be dead in sin and to have a big big picture understanding of the sovereignty of God and giving people saving faith in Christ by God's grace. If the work of salvation is by God's grace alone, how could it be me choosing God that I might be saved? And I have to be honest, this was also a period of time in my life where I had just gotten married. And like no other period of time was I more well aware of the fact that I was a hopeless sinner. Um, I thought I was a pretty good guy before I got married. And then I got married and I was like, oh my gosh. I am the most self-centered person in the world, and I only want my way. And uh, I also do stupid stuff, and so I was well aware of my death and sin, apart from God's grace. But I have to say, from there, I came to a different place. And through hearing the teaching of Bob and some other people who have grown me in my understanding of this as being a seminary student, I came to see that, heck yes, I had better have a conviction about God's sovereignty and leading me to salvation. And yes, scripture is absolutely clear that the free will of men to choose God is so critical in people coming to saving faith. And it was a total paradigm shift to me because I saw that a biblical perspective does not mean choosing one side of the fence and clinging on to it and fighting the other side. It's holding the two in tension and recognizing that the truth is in the tension. And so I want to tell you, that's not an easy place to be because people on both sides are going to be mad at you and say that you need to join their team. But the truth is in the tension. It's inconvenient. It's not easy. But it's biblical. And we have to accept that. And so, what does all this mean for our personal walks of faith and our understanding of our identity as followers of Jesus? I want to say this. The fact of the matter is, if you're a follower of Christ, you are chosen. God has chosen to bless you by drawing you to faith in Christ. And why God would choose to bless us is beyond my understanding. I don't know why he would choose us, but we have to praise him for it. He's blessed us with his grace. We have to praise him for that. And it would be impossible to praise God without acknowledging his blessing and enjoying it. And I want to tell you, we're going to get to mission and outreach in just a second, but we can't rush past this because a big part of getting the gospel of God's grace is enjoyment of God's blessing of us in Christ. He's given us the blessing of Him choosing us, of Him reaching out to us with grace. He's drawn us to Himself out of His love while we were dead in sin. And so, who are you? And this series on identity, real identity, who are you? You are a chosen child of God if you have trusted in faith in Jesus Christ. You are chosen by God to be in His family. It was God's will to save you because he loves you. And you don't have to try and save yourself or create meaning in your life by your own invention. So thank God for that. Praise him for his provision of grace over your life. Praise him for the blessing that that is. And so now as we conclude, I want to shift our focus for just a second to thinking about what election really means for us and our mission in the world as God's people. 
Because while election is a blessing for us, it's not a blessing only for us. When we look at the context of election in Scripture, we always see that God gives blessing for a purpose. From the very beginning of the Bible, when God chooses to bless people with faith in His presence, it's so that they might extend His blessing to the world. And so you may remember back to the book of Genesis, the first person named by God has chosen to be his follower is a man named Abraham. And so what did God tell Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3? He said this, I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you. And so it was God's purpose for Abraham and for the entire nation of Israel. He chose them to be a people of his blessing that they might bless the nations. This is cool stuff. Listen to the words of Psalm 67 about this, about the nation of Israel. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine on us so that your ways may be known on earth, your salvation among the nations. And so the context of election in scripture, it gives us a paradigm shift from the way that people typically think about this doctrine. Here's the shift. Election is not for the purpose of excluding people, but for the people, but for the purpose of including the nations in God's promise. God blesses people with faith in Christ that they might be a blessing to the entire world by sharing the good news of Jesus and reaching out with acts of love and compassion and justice wherever we have the opportunity, extending the grace and truth of Jesus Christ. And so we have no idea who it is that God wills to save. And it's never the job of any human being to try and predict or figure that out. It's never our job to try and figure that out. Our call as followers of Christ is to extend His grace and truth wherever we have the opportunity to shine His light to all the nations. That's the purpose we are created for as God's people. And the book of Ephesians we're studying makes that really clear. This is one of my favorite passages, and I quote it all the time. We're God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. That's the context of election. We are blessed to be a blessing. God has given us salvation in Christ by his sovereign grace. And so how can you extend the blessing you've been given with your words, with your actions, and your abilities and gifts? That's what election is all about. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you for your word. You speak truth to us. You have revealed yourself to us. God we, God, we thank you for what we can understand about you. But we also pray that you would just give us grace and peace in you, recognizing that you are the infinite God and our minds are finite. We can't completely understand you. But you give us enough to have faith. You give us enough to trust you. You give us to know, enough to know that Jesus Christ changes everything about the way that we live our lives. You give us hope no matter what we go through. And God, I pray that you would unite us in the gospel. That we would be people who are incredibly thankful for your work on our behalf, drawing us to faith in Jesus. And we thank you that you've also given us the ability to make choices, God. And we thank you that we can share the good news of Jesus with all of the world and that they might choose to trust you, God, and come into your promise. And so we pray that as we leave here, we would be people on mission, that we would reach out to everyone, people who are in need, people who are lost, people who are searching, people who are poor and powerless with words of truth and words of hope about who you are and what you've done.
God, help us to enjoy the gift of your blessing, but to know that we are blessed to bless the world. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.